0: Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chespero Baptist Church. This morning's message, we're gonna look at a guy who asked Jesus a really dumb question. And then Jesus spends the rest of Luke chapter 12 just ripping into this guy. And it's gonna be a real interesting message today. The title of the message is What Stuff Got to Do With It? Hope you enjoy. Luke chapter 12, we're going to read one verse this morning. Give you just another second to get there. Luke chapter 12. All right, if you have your places in Luke chapter 12, if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand one last time for respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're going to read one verse, pray, and then sit back down. The Bible says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. The title of my message this morning is, What Stuff Got to Do With It? Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray once again this morning that the Holy Spirit would fill this place. Lord, I pray as your people are gathered together, Lord, in worship of you, Lord, I pray that you show up and show out. Lord, I pray the power of God on the service today. And may we know that you visited with us. Be with the preaching, be with us, and may we leave here changed than when we came in. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, this this chapter starts out in a very stunning way. This chapter starts out in a very, very interesting way because what we've got here is we've got this guy. This guy has came to Jesus. He has worked his way through the multitude. He has worked his way through the crowd. He's gotten all the way up to the front of the line and you know, he's saying, "Jesus, I've got a problem. I've got to see Jesus. I have got a real problem. I've got something that only he can help me with. I've got something serious. This isn't this isn't anything to play around with. I've got something important to talk to Jesus about and so he works his way toward in, in through the crowd and he gets Jesus attention and he's saying Jesus I, I, I've got a real problem Jesus I need help and when it's finally his turn to talk he looks up and he calls out to Jesus in front of Jesus and everybody and he says hey here's my problem here's what I need help with I need my brother to split the family inheritance with me can you help me with that let me tell you something, have you ever been in a group or in a class and somebody made a statement or asked a stupid question and it was just like cringe? It was just like, ooh, he, they, they make the statement or ask the question and you're like, ooh, because you know the teacher's about to jump on them. You know the teacher's about to, 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 to get on to them and this guy, he said something so stupid. He said something so dumb. He said something. He said something so incredibly tone-deaf that it was just it was just cringeworthy. And let me ask you a question: If Jesus was here right now, I mean, I'm talking. I mean, I know Jesus is here, but if Jesus was here in His physical glorified body, if He was standing in front of and if He showed up in this church right now, and He said, "I've only I'm only here for five minutes." I can can answer one question from one person, and he pointed to you, what question would you ask Jesus? I guarantee you wouldn't be asking Jesus about the family inheritance, okay? You'd be asking Jesus about something else. Man, this guy, he's just, it was a very, very foolish Very, very ignorant thing that he said to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, in verse 14, uh, Jesus says, Hey, hey, man, listen, man, um, who, who, who made me judge over the two of you? Now, I want you to understand that this is a very cold, very sarcastic, very frustrated response that Jesus gave this guy. It was very cold. It was very sarcastic. And it was a very frustrated response. You see, back in Bible days, when you address someone, you called them friend, even if it was someone you didn't like. Even if it was something you, someone you really didn't like, you called them friend. But this guy said, man, man, what, who made me judge over the two of you? you know? And so this is a very cold response from Jesus And then he goes into verse number 15. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions." So you know what Jesus immediately begins to do? Jesus immediately begins to preach against this guy. I mean, the guy's still sitting, in; he's still standing right there, but Jesus immediately begins to preach against this guy. And it's kind of stunning because Jesus spends the rest of the sermon preaching against what that guy said. He spends the rest of the chapter preaching against what that guy, uh, what that guy uh, said. And this guy will forever be the guy for all of eternity who stuck his foot in his mouth. Now, listen, I have stuck my foot in my mouth many times. I have done it from this pulpit many times. I definitely have. But when I stick my foot in my mouth, it's not recorded in Scripture. Okay, this guy will forever, for all of eternity, be the guy who stuck his foot in his mouth. And and for all of eternity, he will be that guy. So Jesus spends the rest of the lesson, the rest of the preaching time, preaching against what that guy said. And Jesus is like, really? Really? This is what you're going to ask me? I've got the cross in my future. I've got the religious establishment breathing down my neck. I'm only here for a short time, and you're going to ask me to get your brother to split the family inheritance with you? Man, then he looks at this guy and he says, Hey, buddy, listen to me. You better be careful or covetousness is going to run your life. Covetousness is going to run your life. And Jesus starts off, immediately tells a story about a guy who ends up being a fool, thus calling this guy over here a fool. Why? Because this guy over here about the family's inheritance? He's worried about barns, he's worried about grain, he's worried about goods, he's worried about money, he's worried about stuff. And so the first story he tells is about a guy worried about stuff. And the first story he tells is about a guy who has so much, and he has so much that all his barns are full, so what does he do? He tears down those barns and builds bigger barns where he can have more stuff. And the guy in the story is just worried about barns and goods and grains and money. And he's so wrapped up in stuff, he's going to go to hell. This guy is going to hell because he's wrapped up. He cares more about the stuff of this world than he cares about his own soul. And that's why he's going to hell because he cares so much about stuff. But then you know what Jesus does? Jesus turns around and looks to his disciples next. Verse 22, And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, Do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. You know what Jesus does next? Is Jesus has already addressed the lost people in the crowd. He's already said to the lost people, "Hey, y'all, don't go to hell because you're so wrapped up in stuff and you care more about the stuff of this world than you care about your own soul." And then he turns around to the Christians. He turns around to the disciples and he says, "If you let your, if you let yourself get wrapped up in the stuff of this world, you're going to do nothing but worry. You're going to worry yourself into a fret." Oh, where am I going to get the food? Where where am I going to get food to feed my family? Where am I going to get the money to pay this bill that I got in the mail? What about the raiment? Uh, Where are we going to buy our clothes from? And you get so worried about stuff that you worry yourself fret and you begin to live in fear. And basically, Jesus is saying to the Christians, Christians, if you live your life for stuff, then you'll be worried your whole your stuff. That's what he's saying to the Christians that are wrapped up in their stuff. He's saying, he's saying you know what? There's an unsaved person here that's going to die and go to hell because they care more about their stuff than their own soul. There are Christians here that instead of laying up treasures in heaven, they're laying up treasures on earth and one day uh, uh, they're going to look around and they're going to worry and fret because they're afraid they're going to lose all their stuff because they've been laying up treasures in the wrong place. And Jesus says, hey look, unsaved, don't be like that foolish man and go to hell over stuff. Christians, don't live your life worrying and in fear over stuff. You know, and it's almost like Jesus had a three-point sermon. That was point one and two, and here's point number three, verse 40. You too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Unsaved, don't go to hell over stuff. Christians, don't. Don't live your life worried about stuffed stuff. And everybody, if we love the stuff of the world so much, we're going to stop watching for Christ's return. We're going to stop waiting for the return of Christ. The second coming of Jesus... The rapture. It's all, it's all the first and end of the tribulation period, but it's all the coming of Christ. When Jesus comes back, He's coming. He is coming back one day. We call it the blessed hope. The great promise in Scripture. John 14, 2, it's all through the Bible. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go and prepare a place, I will come back for you. Acts 1.10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye up gazing into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. We are looking today for the blessed hope. We are looking today for the great promise of Jesus' return. John was on the island of Patmos, and he heard the Lord say, Behold, I come quickly. And what was John's response to that? Even so, Lord, come. Even so, Lord, come. But what I fear today is we've taken our eyes off of that as the church. We've taken our eyes off that as Christians, and we're worried about our stuff. And we're worried about our possessions and we're worried about our bank accounts and we're worried about our cars and we're worried about our houses and we're worried about our lands and we're worried about the economy and we're worried about the government and we're worried about president elect Sleepy Joe and we're worried about Donald Trump. And oh, wait a second, Brother Brett, you getting into politics. You better back off. You better back off from politics, Brother Pratt. You're gonna ruffle some feathers. I don't give a rip if I ruffle your feathers or not, because what we've got is we've got our church today that is more concerned about Republican and Democrat that they've forgotten about heaven versus hell. You watch, you watch Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson for two hours, and God can't get you to read your Bible for 20 minutes. Tell me we don't have priorities messed up. Sorry about that. But you know what? I got to find my place. Give me a second. You know what? Politicians are corrupt. What? This is news? This isn't news. We've, we've kind of always knew this. Okay? You better get your eyes off the world. You better take your eyes off the world and start looking up. You better start looking up. Why? because one day the last trump will sound. The last trump will sound and what's going to happen in that time is the dead in Christ will rise first and we'll be right on their heels and they've got to rise first because they've got six extra feet to go than us but they're going to rise first and we're going to come up after them in a moment in a twinkling of an eye faster than you can think somebody's going to be flying a plane and poof they're going to be gone. Somebody's going to be driving in a car and poof they're going to be gone one person's going to have their left foot on the carpet and when their right foot comes down it's going to be on a street of gold Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming quickly but the problem is preachers don't preach that anymore the televangelists and the big name preachers and old Joel Osteen that fills the Astrodome three times on a Sunday. He doesn't preach about the second coming of Christ anymore. None of these big name preachers and big mainstream evangelicals, they don't preach about the coming of Christ anymore. And I think the Bible tells us why. Because in Second Peter, you've got the scoffers. And the scoffers, they say, hey, <laughs> Paul said he was coming. And he hasn't come yet. Peter said he was coming and he hasn't come yet. John said he was coming and he hasn't come yet. And so they scoff and they mock and they laugh. But true children of God know, we know he's coming. But you know what some people do? They start to set dates. They start to set dates. They hear the scoffers. Oh, it's been 2,000 years. He hasn't come yet. So some people think that they have to set dates. And is it any surprise to you that some of the most wicked religions out there today come from false date setters? They come from false date setters. And were they right? No. Let, 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 Let me tell you a little something. Prophets in the Bible didn't get it right 99% of the time. They got it right 100% of the time. And if you prophesied in the Bible days and it didn't come true, you were considered a false prophet. You were taken outside the city and you were stoned, the bad kind. And, and you were stoned with stones, and, and it was not good. And listen, uh, the prophets the, the, they had to get it right 100 percent of the time. And if you give a prophecy and it does not come true, then you are a false prophet. There's a lot of preachers in our country today that need to mount the pulpits and need to apologize. They need to repent. They do. They do. Because, listen, God called them to be pastors, not prophets. But you know what? That hasn't stopped the JWs, the Jehovah Witnesses. That hasn't stopped the Mormons. They still still follow after the date setters. And uh, people have been setting dates for a long time. You know, back in 1975, the big thing was preaching against Communism. And the preachers were preaching in 1975 that by 1976, there'd be a red flag flying over the Liberty Bell. Well, 1976 came and there wasn't a red flag flying over the Liberty Bell. I don't even know if there's a red flag flying over the Kremlin now. Okay? And then then people in 1982... 1982, there was, a, there was a big famous preacher. He called it the Parade of the Planets. And that's exactly how he used to say it. The Parade of the Planets. And all the planets are going to line up. And, and, oh, and, and I didn't know if it was eight or nine. I didn't know how many planets we had back then. I think it was nine. But they were all going to line up. And when that happened, earthquakes were going to happen. And, and Jesus was, had to come back in 1982. Well, I was born in 1982 and I'm still here, so I guess Jesus didn't come back. And then in 1988, in 1988, you had a book came out that said 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. If you bought that book, I'm going to give you a pass. I'm going to give you a pass. But if you bought its sequel... 1989, 89 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1989, then we've got some words. I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you if you bought the 89 reason book. And you know, the guy that wrote those books the day before Jesus was supposed to come back, the churches were full and he was out on his yacht with the money that he got from selling all those books. Then in 1994, you had somebody for six months, months, Take out full page ads in the USA today for six months saying that Jesus was going to come back October 1994. I've told y'all many times about in 2011, Harold Camping. Harold Camping bought radio ads and billboard ads all across the country prophesying that Jesus was going to come back in 2011. People were having rapture parties, making fun and mocking, but didn't happen. Now here we are in 2020. We're about due for another one. It every, they happen every eight or nine or ten years or so. And I'm sure once everything calms down, we're going to have another false prophet pop up and say, actually it's 2021, and uh, we're going we're gonna to have another false prophet pop up and say, you know what, Here, Jesus is going to come on this date. And you know, let's say he does that. Let's say a, let's say a guy gets up and I'm just going to pick a date. What if he gets up and he says, Jesus is going to come back September 21st, 2021. You know what you can do? You stand up and you say, well, I prophesy that Jesus is not going to come back September 21st, 2021, and you'll be the one that's right. Your prophecy will come true. You know why? Because nobody knows. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. And and you know what it is? It's blasphemy. It's blasphemy to do that. Because the Bible says that Jesus doesn't know. The Bible says the Son of God doesn't know when He's going to come back. You're claiming that more than Jesus does. That is blasphemy. And these false religions, they... They start with date setters. And when their privacy goes wrong, instead of coming clean and instead of hitting their knees and saying, oh, God, I am so sorry I did this. Please forgive me. I beg your forgiveness. Forgive me of this. You know what they do? They say, oh, it was a miscalculation. I got my math wrong. I forgot to carry the two. I didn't move the decimal point. And uh, so that's what they claim Instead, but you know what? False date setters aside, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and guess what? We need to be ready. And he looks at the unsaved, and he says, don't go to hell over stuff. And he looks at Christians, and he says, don't worry over stuff. And he looks at everybody and says, if you get wrapped up in stuff, you're going to stop watching for Christ's return. Because, you know, when you know he's coming, you live differently. I'm not just saying you have a head knowledge of it. When you know he's coming, you live your life differently. Here's my first point this morning. When you know he's coming, number one, you'll be ready. You'll be ready. Verse 35, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Let me read you that in the the KJV. Let your loins be girded about and your lights be burning. What does that mean to gird your loins? I've told you all this a couple of times, but what it means back in Bible days, they wore robes. So when it came time to work or it came time to run, or it came time to battle, it was hard to do that in a robe. Underneath their robes, the men wore breeches. It's where we get the name, it's where we get breeches from. And what they would do is they would reach down and grab the front of their robe and they would tuck it in their belt and they called that girding your loins. And when it was when you girded your loins, and that meant you had to be ready to go, you had to be ready to run, you had to be ready to work, you had to always be ready to go. And it's the equivalent of us saying, keep your tennis shoes laced up. Keep your tennis shoes laced up. Get them ready to go. You better put some double knots in in those suckers. Because when we're ready to go, you can't be tripping over those laces. You better have them laced up. You better have them ready to go. And then it says, let your lights be burning. And you know what that's a throwback to? That's a throwback to Moses and Passover. And the night of Passover, Moses went around everybody and says, Look, at any time in the middle of the night, we may have to head out of here. So I want you to keep your bags packed. I want you to trim your wicks. I want you to get your lamps ready. Because at a moment's notice, in the middle of night, we could be out of here. That's exactly what that means. But then it's also interesting that Jesus starts talking about slaves in Luke chapter 12. He starts talking about slaves, about the slaves wait on the master to return for the wedding. And in this illustration, the master of the house goes to prepare a wedding ceremony. And they do not know when the master was going to come back. Back in Bible days, a wedding celebration could last a really long time. It could last seven days, two days, three days, even longer. It just all depended on when they ran out of food. When they ran out of food, the celebration was over. And uh, so um, you never really knew how long the wedding celebration was. And so what, 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 what it was like, I'll read it for you, verse 36. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Now that's interesting. Why does he have to knock? I go in my house. I'm not going to knock. I'm just going in. Okay? But why does it's his house? Why does he knock? I'll tell you why. If he was coming in the middle of the day, he wouldn't have to knock. But if he comes in at night, he's coming through that door and he's knocking to let you know he's coming. Why? Because he's going to come in the middle of the night. He's going to come late. Two o'clock in the morning, here he comes, busting through the door. does the Bible say about Jesus, he will come like a thief in the night. So the slaves, they watch the master, they follow the master, they listen to the master, and then the master leaves, then they go prepare for a wedding. But they do not know when the master's going to return, so they better have their their loins girded, and they better have their wicks trimmed, and their lamps ready. We don't know when he will return. Verse 38, whether he comes in the second watch or in the third, he finds them so. Blessed are those slaves. Those watches are 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. How many times does Jesus have to say he's going to come in the middle of the night? And what that means is we are not going to know when He's coming. We have got to be ready. He's going to come when we least expect it. These slaves were ready. And then we turn back to that guy at the beginning of Luke 12. And he says, I've got bigger problems than people going to hell. I've got bigger problems than deceit and false religion. My brother won't give me my half of the inheritance. Isn't that sad? You know, you go to an airport. I've flown a couple of times in my life, mostly from Chicago to New Orleans. And I've flown a couple of times. You know, look out the window, and you see the airport employees, and you see the guys with the flashlights, and they've got the things on their ears, and the vests, and they're directing traffic, and you see the luggage the luggage uh, people and they're, they're loading up the luggage carts so they're loading and unloading the planes and they're out there and, and they're, they're waiting on the next plane to come in and because they've got a job to do and they're getting paid to do it. So you've got those type of people at an airport. But then if you go in the airport and you go down to the baggage claim, you find people there too, but different type of people. You see, the people down in baggage claims that are waiting, they're not waiting on another plane to come in uh, so they can direct it. They're not waiting on the luggage so they can load another cart. They're waiting on their loved ones. You ever see those videos of soldiers coming home? Man, I consider myself a tough guy. But you saw me a video of a soldier coming home and his wife and his little boy crying, hugging him, I lose it every single time, okay? I'm I'm tearing up now thinking about it. Okay, it is, it is rough, those videos. It's hard to get through them, but man, there's, they are so beautiful. And you've got these soldiers coming home, and you've got loved ones coming home, and you've got brides and grooms coming off the airplane, and you've got your aunt you hadn't seen in 20 years, and you've got your brother you didn't know you had, and you're there to meet him at the airport. See, there's two types of people there. You can say they're both waiting something, waiting on something, but you can't say that they're both watching. One group is watching. They're waiting. They're watching. That's how we need to be with Christ. You know, we sing songs about the second coming of Christ. Maybe morning, maybe noon. And we sing these songs about the coming of Christ, and and we know it intellectually But it's something completely different to have our loins girded and our lamps trimmed, waiting and watching for the return of Jesus Christ. And you know why we don't watch? Luke 12 tells us. That guy at the beginning of the chapter, because we're more concerned with barns and grains and goods and monies. And we're more concerned about stuff than we are about the coming of Christ. And that's why we don't watch for him, because we've got our eyes on this world. Let me tell you something. You're not a citizen. If you're saved, you're not a citizen of the United States of America. You are a citizen of heaven. You are an ambassador of heaven. You belong to a different country. Keep your eyes off of this world. Keep your eyes off Christ, on Christ. And you do that by not worrying about stuff. Number one, be ready. Number two this morning, be blessed be blessed. And I know I said, I said the B word, blessed. And you know why I say that is because modern religion has given this word an incorrect meaning. Modern religion has given this word and taken this word and has corrupted this word because what you've got is you've got prosperity gospel preachers that will stand up and say, when you get your new car, you are blessed. When you get your new bass boat, you are blessed. When you get your new home, you are blessed. When you get over the sniffles, You are blessed. You didn't stub your toe today. You're blessed. You you don't have a headache today. You're blessed. And that's what they continue to say. But you know what the thing is, is that modern ministers have convinced us blessed means happy. And I'm here to tell you today, right now, blessed means more than that. It means more than just happy. We have been convinced that if you are happy, then that means you are blessed. And that's not what the word means. You know what the word blessed means? It means favored. It means favored. Happy is a small side of it, but blessed means favored. And there's a lot of people that that offends today that offends a lot of people. The fact that God plays favorites. Do you know that? God plays Favorites. Look at the scripture. Look at the Bible. It's very clear that God plays favorites. And I know we live in the society of the participation trophy. And everybody needs to be, everybody needs to play fair and, and all hold hands and sing kumbaya. But the various, the Bible is very clear on this. God plays favorites. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what that means? God says, hey, see the poor in spirit over there? They're my favorites. That's why they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. You see those peacemakers over there? Those are my favorites. Blessed are the meek. You see those meek over there? Those people who are meek? They're my favorites that's what the word means it means favored so when you've got somebody over here that says i'm going to do what i want to do and i don't care what the bible says and you've got some guy over some person over here excuse me it's breathing too fast i've got some pe- you've got a person over here that says hey i'm going to live my life for the will of god then modern the modern houses of religion say god's need to treat Treat these two people fairly. No. No. When one person says, I don't care what the Bible says, and one person says, I'm going to live my life for the will of God, which one do you think God's going to favor? Huh? Which one is he going to favor? Blessed does not mean happy. Blessed means favored. Oh, but TV preachers, TV preachers are going to get you to, going to get you to say that that's what it means. Oh, you got you a new Cadillac. You're favored. Oh, you got you a new bass boat, a new house. You lost the sniffles. You're favored. You're blessed. No, that's not what it means. You're happy. No, that's not what it means. Blessed doesn't mean you got you you, you got the new. Chevrolet Z71. Oh, that was a truck I wanted when I was a teenager. I wanted the Z71 with mud grips, a winch on the front, uh, one of them big CB antennas in the back. I wanted it, I was gonna keep mud on it. I was gonna go through a mud puddle and not wash it, just keep mud on it all the time, because that's what I wanted when when I was a teenager. I wanted the gun rack in the back, because back when I was a teenager, you could still have a gun rack in the back glass, and, and I wanted to have that, and that was what I wanted. That's not what blessed is. Verse thirty-seven: Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Skip down to the end of verse thirty-eight: Blessed are those slaves. What do you know? He said the same statement twice. Blessed are those slaves. Blessed are those slaves. you know. Uh, and today we've got, you know, today we've got Microsoft Word, and if we want to make an emphasis or something, all we have to do is go over and we have to highlight it, and we go and we hit. Hold, underline, italicize, and we can can change the color of it. We can change each letter to a different color of the rainbow. Really, we can change the font size, make it bigger. We can change the font type and make it look different than the rest. If we wanted to emphasize something on Microsoft Word, we really could emphasize it. But back in the Bible days, when you're writing something on the back of an animal skin, there wasn't an italicize button. So what they did to emphasize something is they would say it more than once, is they would say it twice. So in the Bible, when something is said twice, that means that it's emphasized. So what does it mean for people who watch for Jesus' return? It means they are double-blessed. They are double-blessed. You know who God's favorites are? God's double-blessed, double-favored favorites are the ones who, when he comes, they were watching for him. And you know, in these houses, we're talking about slaves, you know, there was a pecking order in these houses. The first at the top is you had the master. You had the master of the house. And underneath the master, you had the mistress, the wife of the house. So you had the master, you had the mistress, and then you had the children. Now underneath the children, you had the steward. The steward was the manager of the house. He managed all the affairs. Underneath that, you had the foreman who, who, did, who uh, uh, supervised all the work that was done around the house. Underneath the foreman, you had the hired servants, which this obviously was a wealthy house. Okay, so you had hired servants underneath that you had the day laborers and underneath the day laborers at the very bottom of the totem pole were the slaves. And what Jesus is saying is he is saying is whoever you are uh, is uh, he says, I don't care who somebody is. They could even be a humble slave. But if they are watching and waiting for their master, they are blessed. They are favored. And he said it twice. They are double blessed. Verse 37, Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. You know, it's hard to believe. Jesus is going to gird himself. He is going to put on the apron and he is going to serve those who are waiting on him, who are watching for him. And we look back at that guy at the beginning. I could care less about people getting saved. I could care less about religion. I only care about my stuff. And if we don't go down that road, the road of stuff, and we watch and we wait, we too will be double blessed. And Jesus will serve us and Jesus will serve us. Talk about being blessed, being served by Jesus. 2 Timothy four eight. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give me at that day. Paul is about to lose his head here. Paul is about to be beheaded. The charge for tra- for Paul was treason. It was a trumped-up charge. And how they could charge him with treason was this. Did you know the Romans did not care if you worship Jesus or not? They absolutely did not care if you worship Jesus. The Romans said you could worship any God you want. You could eat a banana and worship the banana peel. They really didn't care who you worshiped. They didn't care if these people worshiped Jesus or not. But here's what they did care about. Caesar had to be your number one God. It doesn't matter who you worship, your number one God has to be Caesar. And for a child of God, that's a problem. That is a problem for the child of God. But Paul is there, his race is almost done, he's run his race. He's going to get that crown. And back then, uh, uh, when, when you would win a, win a race, they had a crown made of like, uh, like branches and leaves. And they would place that on your head when you, when you won that race. But you know what Paul said? Paul said he's not only going to get a crown for finishing his race. Somebody else is going to get a crown, too. Let me finish reading the verse. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them that also love his appearing. You know who else gets a crown? Those who are waiting. Those who are watching. They're the ones that get the crown. Let me tell you something. The world is alluring the world's alluring the lord is the, the world is beautiful the world is shiny it's pretty but you know what we need some christians that need to say i'd rather have jesus i'd rather have jesus than houses or lands i'd rather have jesus the ones who are waiting for his return Those are the ones who will get for him a crown of righteousness. I want to tell you a story about a man named Al Smith. Al Smith was a famous hymnist. He wrote a lot of hymns. Al Smith loved hymns. In fact, Al Smith not only wrote hymns, uh, Al Smith wrote several books on the origin of, of uh, of hymns. And Al Smith tells a story about how he used to be in Bible college in Chicago and he had one professor that he loved and everybody at his Bible college loved this professor. This professor was named Henry Ostrom. Henry Ostrom was a very popular teacher at this college in Chicago. And one thing Al Smith said that he remembers about his favorite professor is at the end of class, end of every class he would dismiss his class and he would raise his finger and he would say students as you go out today remember this could be the crowning day he never forgot that Al Smith went on and he went on to write his books and write his hymns, but there was one hymn that was his absolute favorite. He loved this hymn. And the writer of that hymn was a man by the name of George Walker Whitcomb. And George Walker Whitcomb, the thing about it is, is Al Smith could not find any information on this guy. He looked, he studied, and Al Smith was the guy you go to to find out where the hymns come from, and he could not find this guy named George Walker Whitcomb. He searched and searched for many years until finally he found out that the name George Walker Whitcomb was a pen name. See, many times hymn writers would use pen names. Fanny Crosby was famous for it because what would happen is Fanny Crosby would write a hymn and be afraid that people would be, look, would be more concerned that it was a Fanny Crosby hymn, and then, so she would use a pen name to put out a hymn. She did that a lot. And, and Al Smith found out that George Walker Whitcomb was a pen name, and he found out who the original author of his favorite hymn was. And guess who it was? It was his favorite professor, Henry Ostrom. And you know, Al Smith said, you know what? I should have known that. I should have figured that because of that, what he would say at the end of every class. And these are the words that Henry Ostrom wrote. Jesus may come today, glad day, glad day, and I would see, my friend, dangers and troubles would end if Jesus should come today. I may go home today, glad day, glad day, seemeth I hear their song, hail to the radiant throng, if I should go home today. Faithful I'll be today, glad day, glad day, and I will freely tell why I should love him so well, for he is my all today. Glad day, glad day, is this the crowning day? I'll live for today, nor anxious be. Luke 12. Jesus my Lord, I soon shall see. Glad day, glad day, is this the crowning day? When Jesus comes for you, Is it going to be a sad day or is it going to be a glad day? Verse 39 But be sure of this that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. If only the manager of the house would have known. If only the steward of the house would have known, he would have been ready. He would have had his loins girded, he would have had his lamps trimmed. He should have been ready. Regardless, First John 3, 2, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Christian, the Lord is coming. He is coming one day soon in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And what am I here to tell you Today. This whole message boils down to this statement. Don't wait to that day to get pure. Get pure now. Don't wait to that day to get pure. Get pure now and stay pure. You got sin in your life, you're fighting. Guess what? Fix it today. Don't put it off. You've got a sin that's keeping you from getting saved. Man, you need to get rid of that sin. Jesus said, if your eye is keeping you from getting saved, pluck it out. If your hand is keeping you from getting saved, cut it off. Get saved today. If you are saved and you're a Christian, don't worry about the stuff of this world. You've got sin in your life. Confess that sin. Leave it at this altar. Get pure and stay pure. Because when Jesus comes back, you need to be ready. Because of the day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only.